Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor podcast. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, the South African uh, series. We are very passionate about Africans telling their own stories. And this is an opportunity for us as Africans to, uh, um, you know, record our history in the way that we understand it rather than waiting for other people to tell our, sto to tell our stories. Um, thank you for you in the audience, but there's a bigger crowd out there on a number of uh, our online platforms and Gibbs online platforms. So the bigger audience is, is out there. Again, thank you for being brave enough to come in with your COVID masks uh, to come in and join us in, in, in this conversation. So I've got my friend uh, that I've known for a very long time, uh, Stafford Massey. Um, so by way of introduction, Stafford has been in the ICT industry for more than 25 years. Uh, he worked for Telcom, he's worked for Dimension Data, and Novel, or Novel, as a software engineer. Stafford was responsible for establishing Google's presence in South Africa in 2006. After leaving Google, Google in 2010, he founded several fintech businesses and several technology startups. He is known for two payment platforms, Payment Pebble and Payment Bled, which has actually been rolled out in Australia and New Zealand, right, as, as we speak in more, more countries. He's an inventor, a mentor within the early stage te technology startups. He lectures at several business schools, such as Vitz, Gibbs, and Henley. Over the past six years, um, Stafford has focused on Bitcoin blockchain network and all aspects of cryptocurrencies. He serves on a number of boards, including Discovery Bank. So please join me in welcoming Stafford Massey. Here's the thing. Um, I've got my sister sitting there. Right. And she wants to invest in Bitcoin. Right. What do I tell her? So it's, it's, you've got to look at it this way. You need to understand how it's constituted. Um, in my opinion, let me, this is my opinion. I want to make it very clear. Everything that I've said up until now is not to encourage anyone to make an investment. Mm -hmm. Like I am not an investor. Okay. I am, that's not, I'm not a financial person that gives people advice in terms of investment. So please don't take what I say and then go run off and put your entire wealth into Bitcoin. Okay, that's dangerous. So don't do not do that. Um, I would say be careful. Mm -hmm. I say go play. Mm -hmm. um, find an exchange. That, the easiest way for someone to get into Bitcoin, it's not the way I originally got into it. Um, I did it more the arcane way, but the traditional way is to go to a Bitcoin exchange like Luno or Valor or Revix or one of those folks in South Africa, and then you connect your, your, your bank account and you transfer your fiat into a wallet. And then you, from that wallet, you can go buy all these different cryptos. You can buy mm -hmm. Bitcoin, you can buy ETH, you can buy et cetera. So that, uh, what do you tell her? I, I say the following. Be careful. Make sure it's money that you're willing to lose. But if you've got a five-year, 10-year horizon view, um, I don't know how you cannot have Bitcoin in your portfolio mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, I'm heavily exposed to Bitcoin. But I was exposed to Bitcoin five years ago about 60% of my portfolio was in Bitcoin. And it remains that. And it, wow. I'm, I try to continually increase it. Um, but I've, because I don't have the, the, the 12 months, six months, you know, I put money in and I, I don't care because I leave it there. And it, I, I, because I have a view of where it's going to go. 
uh, I know how the technology works underneath. And right now, the problem that we have in Bitcoin is that we have a lot of institutional money that's cascaded in. And we've got a lot of traders in, in here now. And they're using it as a risk asset or they, they deem it a risk asset. So you'll see it closely correlated to like the NASDAQ. And now it's even closely correlated to the Dow Jones, right? And that's, that correlation has literally happened in the last 18 months. But the quick key question is when will that correlation break? And when will Bitcoin then be deemed something that is so different from everything else and it will have its own trend? I think that will happen probably in the next 24 months. And I think when that happens, yes, just my personal opinion, I believe today Bitcoin is the most undervalued asset class in the entire world. Wow. Um, I think it will hit hundreds of thousands of dollars per coin in the next 24 to 36 months. I think in a 10-year horizon, millions of dollars a coin. So essentially what you're saying is be careful. Yes. Take a long-term view. Yes. Put money that you are prepared to risk. Yes. It's not a place to go in today and you're out in six months because it's not going to pay you. No. And then if, if you're doing that with Bitcoin, then you've misunderstood Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, if you take a look at your portfolio, I mean, you almost want to segment your portfolio in four segments. I think one is where you, you're putting your kind of your long-term money. Yeah. And that's where you, you know, property, physical property, you know, gold, um, and then Bitcoin. I think those and, and maybe even artifacts that like art and stuff that you think has value over time. So there's a layer that's the perpetual value over time layer. Then then you've got, you know, your savings um, and, and your different institutions and wherever. And then you've got your investments so your stocks and all of that. And then you've got your speculative stuff. And your speculative stuff is like your meme coins. And that's when you go buy like Dogecoin and you know, mummy coin and doggy coin and, and you go play around with that stuff. But that's incredibly volatile. But, you know, that's I love risky. That's risky. But that's mm. play. You know, I, I play around with NFTs. I think mm. NFTs are huge. I think they're going to be really big. But like 99% of the NFT work today in terms of a speculative asset class will be zero. Mm. I know that. But that's okay. I just want to understand it on a technological basis, on a humanity basis. And so I play around with it. I mean, I've done well with a couple of NFTs. But broadly speaking, I mean, it's a very risky hey, have world. Have you created your own? No. no. I've, okay. I've bought, yeah. I've bought, okay. I've bought, but I know I haven't created my own. I'm not. But for the, the beauty of that world, though, is if you're an artist, um, what the internet did for information is what the crypto network is doing for creation. Mm. Um, if you're a creator, if you, I mean, I helped a band last year. I'll give you the story. Here's a band. They said on Facebook, to all their fans, um, they hate government, they hate the lockdowns, it's killed their business, they can't perform anywhere, they made their money through performance. Um, their fan base was about 50,000 people. Um, I pinged them on Facebook when I saw the post and I said, hey guys, have you heard of like NFTs? Uh -huh. And the guy looked me up and he pinged me, the band lead, I'm not going to mention who they are, but he said, yes, can you just tell us? And we went through it. And you know what they did? They took um, two unreleased songs and they created an NFT with that. Then they did an NFT of album art cover. Um, and then they did an, uh, a, a very famous song. They made that an NFT and they put it up. They sold all four of those NFTs for 2.2 million rand in a night. Wow. And that was their performance money that they would have made over maybe two years as mm. a band. Mm. They made it in an evening with NFTs. Mm. I mean, and that just changed everything for, for them. And you know what's nice about it? Yeah. They made that money, but because it's programmable, and that's what's be the beautiful thing here. This, like, crypto is programmable money. So you, you sell something, but you can program that any benefits onward, you take a percentage of it. Uh -huh. So if I make a song 
and I put it up as an NFT, I can say whenever the song is traded ever again in its history, perpetuity, two and a half percent of whatever that trade is comes to me forever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there is no legal contract that needs to be signed. There's no lawyers involved. There's no intermediary. The math enforces that no matter what you do with that NFT. So a lot of people that um, had that I was going to be talking to you about this say yeah. I should ask you about what the volatility we've experienced mm -hmm. um, in the cryptocurrency market mm -hmm. over the past three, four, five weeks uh, means for, mm -hmm. for, for those that are trying to play. Mm -hmm. um, what should people be doing? What, what messages? Should they be panicking or this is the time when you say, calm down, take a long-term view? I think t t two things. I, I, I think look at Bitcoin um, and just take a look at Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin just is steady. Right? And, and take a look at the institutional money coming in, the trading desks that are forming. They're not running off and buying crypto. They're buying Bitcoin. And, and that should say a lot. Why? Because no publicly traded company in the world can buy a security like an altcoin. They can buy Bitcoin. Right? So if you take a look at the company's microstrategy that owns $5 billion worth of Bitcoin, that's a publicly traded company. You know, to, from a pure regulatory perspective, you've got to watch out. Um, Regulation is probably the space's biggest threat. Mm. Um, technology is probably the second one. So, and, and then third is fraud and what people are just doing that's silly and stupid, right? Mm. Uh, but if you, if you take a look at it as that, then first of all, from a regulatory perspective, Bitcoin is probably your safest right now. Okay. You know, because there's clearly an acceptance of Bitcoin by regulators in the world. Mm. Um, they are forming regulation around Bitcoin. They, like things like KYC, mm. Um, et cetera, et cetera. They, they're formulating and they're treating it as property. The others could be outlawed overnight. You could put money into Dogecoin and tomorrow it's, it's not it's illegal in your country. So I think regulation is probably the one you need to understand the most when you come into this space because regulatory frameworks could kill a project, could stop you ever getting your money back out or getting it out legally. And that's you're, the biggest saying, you're saying people are, do, are doing silly and stupid things. Mm -hmm. What are those things? Is this where we see... Uh, pyramid scheme looking things not, where people but, are, yeah. what, what is that? I think pyramid scheme is like it's a Ponzi scheme, pyramid yeah. scheme. These are words that people just flick around and it's clearly people that haven't done their homework, yeah. right? So people are taking this technology, an example, the big one that just Luna with their Terra stablecoin, um, they built a stablecoin infrastructure. Now stablecoins are the digitization of the dollar mm. and it gives the dollar more velocity. So, so if you want to, like fiat currencies are sticky, right? I mean, it's like, if I send an email to you in Zimbabwe, I don't have to think about a cross-border email. No. But yet I have to think about cross-border money. Like, what the, like why? Mm. So, so when you create a stable coin, that goes away. So you're not thinking about borders. So it gives fiat greater velocity. Yeah. So you can move money. So sovereign funds can move their money very quick. Stable coins are amazing, but stable coins connected to currency. So when, a, when someone pops up an exchange and they say, I have a stable coin, you need to make sure that the basis of their stable coin is a security that's an asset that's real. So they actually have, if they said that we've got 100 stable coins, that's $100 worth and each one is worth a dollar, you need to make sure that they have $100 in the bank mm. fixed up linked to that stablecoin. Now, what we see happening in the stablecoin world is what's happened over the last three, four weeks is one of them came along and built a stablecoin. You know, we got stablecoins backed with physical fiat currency companies. Then we got people building stablecoins with 
with a little bit of fiat, but then also with other cryptocurrencies. And then you got guys building what these guys did recently, a stable coin with an algorithm that trades against a various, a varied portfolio. And then that pegs it to the dollar. And that's really speculative. Like there you're trusting a lot. And that broke. And when that broke, billions was lost. Mm. And um, yeah, I, but I think it's, it's sad that so many people get conned into this. They jump into it without being truly educated. They jump into it without informing themselves. But, uh, you know... Thinking that they're going to make a fast buck. Look, I mean, this is... Hum- You've got to understand it on a humanities level, yeah. not a technological level. I mean, when there was a gold... The California gold rush in the United States. Go look at the history. Mm-hmm. I mean, people packed up their houses, sold everything. Uh, you took their family and everything and into carts with oxen. And they did years and years mm-hmm. to get there. People are irrational. And they will do that irrationally. And that's just the nature of So we've, we've seen um, central banks mm-hmm. beginning to walk back their opposition to Bitcoin. Yeah. They're beginning to, to embrace it, mm-hmm. though with uh, a lot of talk around regulation and so forth. Yeah. We've seen the Central African Republic and um, uh, El, Salvador. Uh, El Salvador taking this uh, using Bitcoin. Would you, I mean, Zimbabwe has a huge currency issue. Mm-hmm. And we've heard some economists saying, Bitcoin is going to solve your problems. Mm-hmm. What's the response to that? Yeah, Bitcoin could do things for Zimbabwe that's extraordinary. Um, it really, really could. It could allow for new financial instrumentation uh, in a way that um, you know you can't even imagine. I think if someone had to ask me, like, what was Bitcoin built for? The formal economy, like you and I, that yeah. have bank accounts and cards. No, was built. But, but Bitcoin built for people that have cash and that cash infrastructure. You know, no, I think like, like even cash is quite intricate and the structures built around it on a social basis. The way um, a Shabin works where I grew up, uh, the way a stock file works, it's very structured. I think Bitcoin is not for the informal economy or informal economy. It's for this, like what I call the third economy. Mm. And it's a, it's a view that I don't have right now. But it's imagine giving a guy two hours outside of Shenzhen that has, he's got a mobile phone, he's got no access to fiat currency, mafia state, etc. So he's like, what could he do with this? What could that guy, you know, an hour outside of Harare do with this? That's going to be interesting. He'll create new financial instrumentation. So my, I would encourage leadership in Zimbabwe to take a look at it the same way El Salvador has looked at it. I think make it legal tender. I think um, uh, regulate it in a friendly way, create a tax framework around it. Um, be careful of the crazy stuff. I think focus on Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin and Lightning um, and the wallets associated with that. I mean, you could, you could switch on cross-border payments instantaneously. You could create businesses that have inflows. Um, and you could create a whole new taxation paradigm with, for the government. I mean, it, it could solve Zimbabwe's capital problems. Wow. What, what the, imagine yourself being a politician. What would scare you? from using Bitcoin? What would be the thing that you say, Bitcoin, the people, Bitcoin takes the, this the, thing away from me? The people that funded my campaign telling ah. me if you touch that stuff, we're not funding you anymore. Ah, I, <laughs> I think that I think it's asymmetrical uh, issues that, that get in the way. Um, but if you take a look at El Salvador, I mean, it's what it's done there. And people will argue that, well, it's, there's some people that still hate it over there. They don't like Bitcoin, etc. But... Um, 
just from a, a sovereign reserve perspective, I mean, uh, f- they've put money into Bitcoin. They've made money of Bitcoin mm. over the last two years, three years that they've done this. Mm. Bitcoin has increased in value. So they've made money. Mm. They are mining Bitcoin off their volcano. They've got like hydroelectric power capabilities over there and they're mining Bitcoin. They, they're putting up mining rigs. So they're generating money mm. off their natural resources. So if you think, I think the political capital is something that politicians are still trying to wrap their heads around. Mm-hmm. And, and people like myself are doing a whole lot of background work with politicians in, in, in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, politicians are asking the right questions, mm-hmm. saying, okay, what is this? And where does it go? And should we be scared of it? Yeah. Does it mean an outflow, a risk thing where people... It's an incredible opportunity. And I mean, What, if, what yeah. do you say to mm-hmm. politicians when they say that? Embrace it. Embrace it. It's inevitable, number one. Yeah. Um, you can't outlaw it. It's like outlawing the internet. Mm. Like you, you can, you can try, but then Starlink comes along, mm. you know, with Elon Musk, and then it's inevitable. Connectivity. Yeah. This is inevitable, mm. number one. The question is, how do you build a regulatory framework that protects your citizenry from the scammers? Mm. How do you educate your, your citizenry? And how do you derive political capital from this? I think you can. There's enormous political capital that lays dormant for politicians in this regard. I, I've asked you this question before, but I'm asking it for these people, for the benefit of these yeah. people here, and for the benefit of the audience uh, who are watching us all over the world. What do you mean by Bitcoin mining? Can, can you break it down right. for us um, okay. as slowly as possible? Right. Um, and and it's the connection to energy use and its uh, implications to uh, global warming. So first of all, I tweeted, I think it was yesterday or day before, the energy spent on Bitcoin mining is the most effective, efficient, and valuable form of energy utilization of anything on the planet today. Wow. People don't understand Bitcoin. So when they talk about like, we see papers being written about like greenhouse gases and emissions. A Bitcoin server farm, a farm where machines are sitting and mining the ledger, with proof of work as the engine, uh, which I'll explain in a second, takes a lot of capacity and a lot of electricity. But what's the result? And first of all, that entity, there's no emissions. It's a zero emission point of presence. There's no emissions. So in terms of green, what are you talking about? First of all. Second of all, um, it is, if you take a look at the activity that's happening, people putting value in, and what that value results in, the net result relative to the energy consumption, there's nothing on the planet that compares to it. There's no industry. Take a look at healthcare, take a look at food, take a look at, there's no, in, in the, in, there is no industry in the world where energy goes in and the net resultant is what you get with Bitcoin. It's not the same. So mining. Yeah. So, so Bitcoin works in a decentralized manner. So what we have in the network, we have nodes and then we have miners. So nodes are uh, verifiers and miners are the engines that when a transaction happens, puts up their hand to say, I want to process the transaction. Okay, so I'm going to try and make it as simple as possible. Sure, sure. I want to pay you. I want to send you Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm in Zimbabwe. You're in Zimbabwe. So I want to send you uh, 500,000 Satoshis. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are, those are little. Int- so I want to send you. So I go send Trevor this. I want to pay Trevor this. What happens is all the Bitcoin miners in the world, when I, inst- when I send that instruction, put up their hands and go, I want to mine it. I want to mine it. So they take the entire ledger. And the ledger is about four gig big now. I think it may be bigger, but the last time I looked, it's about four gigs. It's the entire Bitcoin ledger, the entire, all the transactions that happened from 2009 
up until today, it's about four gig. Big. It might be wrong, maybe 400 gig. Mm. I may be wrong in that. But the point is then all, everyone puts up their hand and they say, I want to mine it, I want to mine it. And then they try to put as much processing power behind it to do the mining, which is the mathematical instruction to add that record onto the entire ledger. And that energy that goes behind the processing to do that, the first person that does it right puts up their hand, processes the ledger, it gets given to the nodes to say, here's the new ledger now because it's been given to Trevor and this is the new ledger for Bitcoin in the world. That putting up my hand is the mining. Is the mining. I'm putting up my hand, I want to do it and then I start mining it and I'm mining it, and then I apply the math and then the resultant is done, the resultant gets signed. How yes, yes, yes. How quick is that process? It's slow today. Okay. Um, will it be ever? Will it, it ever be fast? We don't want that. We okay. don't want. We don't want high velocity in Bitcoin. Ah, okay. Bitcoin is made up of three layers. We've got the low velocity layer, which is layer one. That's where the ledger gets mined. It utilizes a thing called proof of work to do it, mm. and the, that's the methodology employed by the algorithm to 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 process the transaction of the ledger. And that we don't want hyperscaled. We want that to work the way it works. It must be an or I don't like things that move fast and are flashy when it comes to money. <laughs> so Bitcoin is not that. Bitcoin is stable. Yeah. It is perpetual. Yeah. It's immutable. It's sensor resistant. And it works the way it does. And it doesn't want to scale. If you're confused about healthcare, it's easier to put your trust in us, where every contribution is secure. And you can be sure that your membership card will be accepted. So relax, you're in safe hands with us. With access to world-class medical providers, little to no shortfalls, and free iGo membership for all our seamless members. Join us today. Together, we make a difference. Here's my problem. I don't, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to the audience now. So Gen Z is setting the agenda. Yeah. These are our children. Um, uh, they're setting the agenda. And you're saying to us that nobody owns this thing. Nobody controls this thing. Yeah. Nobody can censor this thing. Why should we trust something that we can't control and own? And, and Let me turn that question around. The institutions that you're putting your wealth in today, how can you trust them? You're in Zimbabwe. You saw what happened. But I still, I, I can go and talk to the bank manager. I can go and, and talk to somebody. You're great, but... You Trevor Ngube, so you can't do that. But Joe Soap, that's a taxi driver, can't talk to some. Mm-hmm. He has no access to some shabalala. Mm-hmm. He has to sit in a line and talk to a bank manager if he's ready, but some switched off all the banks mm-hmm. physically. So now it's all digital. Mm-hmm. So who does he speak to? And when he tries to speak to it, he has to have data on his phone. He has to speak to a bot. It's not a real human being mm-hmm. until he finally speaks to a human being, and that human being may not even understand his accent. That's banking today. Mm-hmm. That's insane. That's friction back. That, it's ins- the beauty here is that, is that that taxi driver doesn't have to speak to anyone. Mm. He can take layer one and put his money into layer one. Mm. And that money will be around a thousand years from today. Unless something happens to the planet and we all get nuked or something. But a thousand years from today, guaranteed it's going to be there, number one. Number two is he can use layer two, which is uh, 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 the layer that gives Bitcoin velocity, which is the lightning network. Everyone focuses on Bitcoin. You've got to understand the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network is part of the Bitcoin layering. It's layer two, and it gives Bitcoin incredible velocity, a velocity that surpasses Visa and MasterCard. It's a velocity that passes any 
currency in the world today. Mm-hmm. And then you've got layer three, which is all the wallets and all the stuff and the innovation that sits on top of it. But the, 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 the possibility for innovation for that taxi driver across all of this is, is exponential versus what you describe it. Uh, I trust math. Hmm. I don't trust, I don't, what you're describing is faith. Fiat currency is faith. <laughs> you have faith that when I say I'm going to buy that phone from you and yeah. I give you money, you have faith that that money will be worth something so you can acquire something else later on. I love what, you know, what it, uh, the guy that wrote Sapiens, um, Yuval mm-hmm. Nora, yes. he said money Sorry. is the greatest fiction. Not everyone yeah. believes in God, yeah. but everyone believes in money. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I, I love your brain, your beautiful brain, the way you think. I want these people to understand who you are. Where were you born? Where did you go to school? <laughs> as, as briefly as possible. Who, who is Stafford Massey? I'm just a guy from El Dorado Park, south of Johannesburg, um, in probably one of the most gangster and drug-riddled um, uh, areas in South Africa. I mean, people talk about the Cape Flats. Go to El Dorado Park where I grew up. It's, mm. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hectic. I took my wife there. I'm married to a Caucasian lady, and I took her there, and she was... Yeah, she was very scared. Mm. Um, and we go there often from a disapproval philanthropy perspective. But that's where I'm from. I, I got which, a, which schools did you attend? In I, I went to Sacred Heart College mm. um, uh, in my high school. I went to um, Mayfair Convent in Mayfair. Um, so, so my dad spent a lot of money back then on private school education. You know, he wanted to make sure that that was possible. And, and we were lucky. And... and um, yeah, I grew up there, and he realized that if I stayed there, that I would be prone to all the gangsterism and et cetera, et cetera. And um, I got a break. My dad, um, I'm not going to go into all the personal stories. There's no time for that. But I landed up in Israel. I stayed there, and I got an opportunity that most kids in El Dorado. The difference between me and a guy that's walking around right now in El Dorado Park with a knife in his back pocket and stitches on his face is that I got a lucky break. I, I got to see a context greater than Eldorado Park. When I grew up in Eldorado Park, my, my purview was Dickies jeans, uh, you know, Superga shoes, uh, you know, white wall rims, and, and uh, cassette decks that we stole from the white kids in Parktown North when we came here. Right? Mm. That's how we grew up. We made money going to the suburbs. And I, I managed to land up in a foreign country meeting different people, exposed to them. Mm. And when I finally landed up back here in South Africa and I went back to Eldorado Park, the things that attracted me when I lived there originally didn't attract me anymore because I just was given an opportunity to see through a window that the world had a greater context, that there was more to everything than what we had seen there. And I think education is one-sided, but also global exposure. And I think that's the beauty of the internet is that connectivity gives an opportunity for someone that may not have a dad that has the capability to fly them to another country or arrange that for that to happen. They have the opportunity to speak to someone with an alternate opinion or to use Google Earth Mm -hmm. to see what it's like in Mexico City or to say how it's like in LA. I think that's the beauty of technology because it really does make things borderless in terms of access. And this is my last question. There's a big gap between El Dorado Park Mm. And the stuff you're telling us here. I mean, this yeah. is um, any any scars, any stuff of that course. you grew up with that has, has remained with you. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you know, when we went through the apartheid that we went through, which is probably I think I was the last kind of generation 
that felt the, the clinicalness of apartheid, which is like, you can't go to the beach. There's only one dentist. You, you, you can, you know, the bus drivers that won't pick you up. Um, we still saw that, you know, early 90s. It was uh, late 80s, early 90s. I was high school. Uh, it was around. So, uh, so um, that was, and, and the trauma of going through that. I mean, when I went to Segura College, I'll never forget it. We play soccer and the bus would come by and the driver wouldn't pick me up. And I'd wait there and wait there until 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And can't, no bus. Because you're not the right color. Not the right color. And then, you know, you'd knock on some friend's doors that lived near the school and then they'd house you for the night. And you could sleep either in the car outside or you could sleep in, you know. So you, you, going through all of that at that age was very traumatic. At the time, you said, well, this is life. But these were scars. These were, these were, this was trauma. And it built up an incredible amount of resilience, right? To see your dad being smacked by a cop and, you know, in Joburg and, and being all thrown into Bucky. And, you know, all of that stuff that we saw growing up, you know, that trauma still lies dormant in so many men of color in this country. And we have never dealt with it properly. And what happens is we land up in relationships and either professionally or personal relationships and we play out that trauma. Now, that trauma can play out in two ways. For me, it was a great strength. Um, let me talk about it positively. Sure. To raise capital in a startup, to work for 72 hours at a stretch in code, um, to push the boundaries to work. I mean, I am not smarter than the other guy, but one thing I know I will do is work harder than the other guy. And because of the t that tenacity comes from all the trauma. And that's a good thing. So you can take your trauma and your... your Turn it and, into something positive. Yeah, but you know what ha does happen in your mm -hmm. personal life with relationships? That's where it tends to play itself out in the negative. So, example, you don't have tolerance for your kids because you put them into private schools, you put them, give them all of this thing, and so you have no tolerance for their, for their situation in any way or form. So you lose your vulnerability and you lose your compassion. And so you become a dad that's more bludgeoned in how you deal with them. In a relationship, you become traumatic to be with, especially because relationships go through ebbs and flows. Are they good and then they're bad? But when you're dealing with so much trauma, when the, when the bad chapters come along, you're horrific. You can be a very horrific man. And I think that's, when I take a look at the country and I read about gender-based violence and I read about, you know, I think there's so much trauma, hurt, pain that has never, I'm talking about the male population now, that has never been truly dealt with. The truth and recognition, you know, the TRC was a good thing because it did it on a nation state basis, but I don't think on an individual capacity that we've done it. And I can tell you what, things like psychiatry, psychologist, therapy, doing work, reading the books that makes you do work was something that my wife exposed me to. So this is something that is probably 10 years old, mm. um, where I've learned to become to strive to become a better person, to recognize my behaviors relative to that pain. Um, that that pain funnels itself and becomes fuel in a business capacity, but it becomes fuel in a personal capacity. It doesn't necessarily have positive outcomes. And, it, and, and unfortunately, culturally, it's like something that white people do. White people go to therapists and white yeah. people do that. Like we just, we get married and we stick around in bad marriages and, and we just do it because- But therapy is important yeah. for all of us. And I think it's, it's about looking inward and really yeah. dealing with, with self. And I, over the last decade, um, if you had to ask me personally, um, I've been incredibly successful professionally. 
But the fuel that drove that, I've had to really tap out of my tank personally. And the last 10 years has been a lot of that. Becoming a better husband, becoming a better dad. You know, I have three daughters. You know, daughters require a man to really be more vulnerable and be in contact with self than maybe a boy does. I don't have a boy, so I, don't, I can't really speak to that. But I, yeah, I just think that the greatest challenge that I have in my life right now is, is self. It's really looking inward and dealing with that stuff. Yeah, we, we, had, we had a brief discussion with uh, Simon on that issue, mm. uh, which is an interesting contrast before we go to the audience. Um, Bitcoin can't solve the mm -hmm. self. No. The self needs to be dealt with by you and yourself yeah. mm -hmm. um, in quiet moments. Yeah. Um, thank you for being vulnerable. Um, let me turn to the audience now, and I can see uh, hands are going up. Uh, give the hands the mic um, to ask the question. Please, can I ask that um, you be brief? We uh, ask a question, not a comment. Um, the comments will deal with uh, uh, later on. Please be brief with your comment, and then um, Stafford will answer the questions. Yes, please. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Simba. Um, thank you so much, um, Mr. Mube and uh, Stafford. I think the conversation has been very insightful. Um, to some of the elements that you're mentioning, uh, I think I just have a question around the African context of what, um, how one could use Bitcoin to solve some of the challenges that we have here. And I think particularly because the information you're sharing is not necessarily as mainstream accessible um, to a continent that is predominantly um, a lot younger than mm. the rest of the continents yeah. of the world. And so how do we yeah. bridge that gap? Thanks. Thanks, Simba. Thank Brilliant you. question. Mm. I think it's an excellent question. I think what, what, and I've been toiling with this for a while, like what, what's the Africanization of, of this thing, this asset? Mm. And like, what does it mean to us? And, I, and I've studied El Salvador like as much as I possibly can based upon the information that I have access to. I'm, I'm planning a trip there. I want to actually go there to go, to go take a look at it. And so, so multiple things. I think, number one, I think it's a massive opportunity for us. Um, if you take a look at the natural resources that we have on the continent, it's profound. Um, if you take a look at traditional banking on the continent, uh, folks like Sim, I think the time has come, right? I, I think it's a new dispensation. Um, and they're in big trouble, in my opinion. It is a generation that will never engage with them like the other generations did. So I just, as banks, we really got to rethink, you know, what, what we do relative to that space. I'm on a board of a bank, and I'm constantly saying this within that institution, that we really have to embrace this because this is where this generation is. I think it's a massive opportunity for us. I think the latent human potential, the latent human capital on our continent is the largest pool in the world. The next billion people that are going to get connected to the internet is only, the next billion is Africa. There isn't another next one. It's us. And when we get connected, we're not just going to get connected, right? We're going to get connected to, now I always used to think like connectivity was broadband connectivity and then access to information. That's like web two way of thinking. I think this new way of thinking is that we are connecting latent human capital to a disparate species of artificial intelligences, right? And, and that combination, that human-machine symbiosis will result in something quite extraordinary. And I think that's the opportunity for Africa. And what I worry about Africa right now is that we've got a lot of capital influx over the last 24 months. Extraordinary. I mean, billions is coming into Africa for fintech. 
extraordinary. It's like really, really big amounts of money. And I'm a little bit concerned about that. Because first of all, it's building and innovating on archaic old rails um, versus the potential that we could have. And I think, but it's going to take leadership to understand the opportunity. Then the second step is to take that leadership and then build regulatory frameworks around it to allow it to exist and, and, and ferment and grow. And I think when that happens, something extraordinary could happen. So it's ours to lose. Bitcoin could be tectonic. It could be that next. What the internet did for the former world, Bitcoin could do for Africa. Right? In terms of exposing businesses globally to us, trade, um, and the latent trade potential, this, the SMME world over here, the music that, that's untapped in Africa, the arts and culture that lays undiscovered still today. I think Bitcoin could be the th very thing that unravels it. Now, the basics is we should do, we have the natural resources. We've got big rivers. We've got, we've got everything. We've got sunlight. I mean, more sunlight than certain parts of the world has. If we take a look at our natural resources relative to mining Bitcoin, we should be leading the world. I mean, that's the opportunity for us. Thank you, Staff. Yeah. Um, the next question, sir, Mr. Stone. Excellent. Uh, guys, this is uh, quite an insightful uh, conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Trevor uh, Stratford. Um, my question is around, um, perhaps let me put it this way. Um, what we learn from history is that we don't learn from it. Uh, and sometimes it just feels that you know, we are going around in circles as a society. Um, you know, uh, King Solomon in the Bible talks about, you know, there's nothing new under the face of the sun. Mm -hmm. So now, coming back to this Bitcoin story, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great technology with, you know, uh, uh, great possibilities. But the concern really from my side is, you know, the big companies, some of whom have dubious reputations, are now investing in Bitcoin. Uh, so you might find that, you know, these guys own a chunk, you know, from an investor point of view of this, this particular initiative. Therefore, they can now begin to manipulate it moving forward. Uh, so that's the first, first question. Uh, the second one is on the issue of uh, Bitcoin solving Zim's problems. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure, though, that, uh, that that might be possible. My view is that the macro fundamentals are problematic mm -hmm. in Zimbabwe, and you require the macro issues to be dealt with. In particular, political leadership mm -hmm. is the one that drives economic activity as yeah. such. The reason that I won't go and buy a farm in, in Zimbabwe, and, you know, they're quite cheap in, in, in Bulawayo or elsewhere, uh, comparative South Africa, is that I cannot be certain what I'm going to do with it. You know, I buy a farm. Um, you know, what am I going to do with it? Or what is that farm going to do? So because the macro fundamentals are problematic, Absolutely. in particular, uh, the political mindset in that, in, in, in mm. that country. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Mr. Sterling. Thank mm. you. Yeah, I think let me deal with the second comment around Zimbabwe. And I, I think absolutely. I, I, I don't speak about it naively. Um, I, and, and that's why I say in this space, the, the, the opportunity starts and begins through the regulatory door. And then when I talk about the regulatory door, that is where political macroeconomic factors come into play, you know, where leadership truly understands how this could benefit the economy and they accelerate it from a proper tax, a, a, a tax, a taxation structure and a legislation that's friendly to it. The problem that we have is that we do have leaders that don't understand it. They like fundamentally don't understand it. Um, 
But if we got them to understand it, this is a tool. This is a tool. And if we had time, I could show you exactly how a country like Zimbabwe could metamorphosize itself. And when it did, it wouldn't be subject anymore to foreign states, foreign nations influencing its economy. El Salvador right now has got lots of pressure. The IMF is, is scoffing at what it's doing. It's saying it's dangerous, etc. But the economic, macroeconomic factors are not proving that out. In fact, trading with El Salvador has never been easier now. You know, uh, paying the fluidity of money, the frictionless way, the velocity of fiat. It's incredible what's happening. In, and we're going to see that probably in Central African Republic too. But take a look at the white paper that Carr has published. Now, it's, it's a white paper that you can scoff at, but it's a, there's a leader imagining a Bitcoin island in his country, a place where you can come. It's free of taxation. It's free of this. You can use the natural resources to mine it. And here's the tax framework around it. Da, da, da. It's a, a beautiful vision. And, I, and like, if he could execute against that, he could transform that country into an incredible, incredible. I think Zimbabwe sits with that same opportunity. In but again, um, we need leaders to, to understand this and build the properly, proper frameworks around it. Mm -hmm. The first question was, the question that, this is a question that used to come up, but it doesn't come up so much anymore. Um, if you take a look at Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy, um, he owns 0.0, and on that slide that I showed, I think he owns like 0.024% of Bitcoin. And he owns just over almost $6 billion worth of Bitcoin. There's nothing that he can do to change the price of Bitcoin. Nothing. We saw when, just recently over the last three, four weeks, when um, the Luna Terra saga happened with the stablecoin that collapsed, they sold... $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin, right off. What did it do to the Bitcoin price? Bitcoin price went up. So we're out of that territory now because of the liquidity in the space where big whales come along and move the price. Um, the, the, the amount of retail investment that's cascading into the space is extraordinary. And institutions coming in and buying billions and billions and billions, it's highly unlikely that we'll ever get to a point where they could manipulate the price or they could collude or do something, because that's not, you can't manipulate the math. You just, you just can't do that to Bitcoin. Um, and about two years ago, you were absolutely right. Like, like Elon Musk was doing stuff to Bitcoin. He would like tweet and then the price would do stuff. But have you noticed, he can't do that anymore. So yes, today, are we still subject to that? Could happen in two years' time? Less likely, five years' time? Definitely not. Ten years' time? Possible. Just because of the way it works. Yeah. Thank you, Stafford. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Dumisani. I just want to find out uh, which is a good uh, Bitcoin wallet besides Luno that one can, uh, you know, I've, I've had some issues with Luno. Okay. Uh, and then the second question is um, with regards to NFTs, um, We've bought some sports NFTs like NBA short, uh, mm. um, UFC strike, right. and all that. So, would you say uh, is it a good thing? Because we, you know, I mean, they, there's drops that you know come regularly, and uh, and 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 I see people around the world, uh, you know, they are into it, buying them and all that, keeping those packs. Would you would you say it's a good investment? Thank you, sir. Very good question. At least you're in there playing, eh? Yeah. There's somebody who's playing with it. Uh, you know, my opinion is 
5% of all NFTs in existence today will be gone and worthless and, and not valuable. I think you've got to take a look at the institutions behind them and how they're executing against it and what's their vision around that NFT. So, for example, Bored Apes, V Friends, uh, World of Women, uh, CryptoPunks. You've got to take a look at what they are. So, this is, you know, the, what's required when you invest in NFTs is not pure trading skill. What's required is understanding the art world, the abstract, and the esoterical. So, example, why I like World of Woman is because uh, just its origin, female, it's, it's, it's the first that ever grew up to become that female. It's got that fe female backing founder thing going on for it. And, and that esoterical aspect means it's got that history now in the NFT world. Like, there's, like everyone that comes after that will be second. So they've got like that esoterical value that will be valuable to someone out there. Then you take a look at like uh, Bored Apes. Bored Apes is doing something interesting with their NFTs. It's not just an, a static JPEG. <laughs> what, it, what they're doing is they're starting to build and execute on derivatives around that ecosystem, right? So now you've got like Bored Ape Land, where now they're creating like a metaverse virtual place where you can go with your Bored Ape and you can, the collateral you can build up around your board ape, utilizing the board ape coin, the ape coin. You can, now they've got a token, they've got a virtual land, and they're even playing it out in the physical world where you can go to like a board ape restaurant in New York City. And if you have a board ape, you get a, a table, you get a discount, you get a this, you get a recognize, you, get, you can use your board ape coin and da 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 So look at, look at projects where the founders have vision. And then also take a look at how they're going to execute around that and then think about how they are bringing in the esoterics into that. Are they first, therefore they're part of the history of it? You know, do they have value around the content itself, like Bored Apes and, and what it is? Is it beautiful? Is it is a demand for it? I mean, Bored Apes, I don't own a Bored Ape. I wish I bought a Bored Ape. I, I, I think it's amazing. Like it's, it's so, so, so a long story. I can't tell you whether it's a good investment or not. I, my, I can only say is 95 to 98% of the stuff is going to be JPEGs and nothing. But you need to look out for, for the, you know, that 3 to 5% mm. that's going to be massive. And I think you've got to look at not just what it is. You've got to take a look at its history, its context, its esoterics, and how they execute around it. So we don't have time now, but I could like, spend a whole afternoon on NFTs mm. and go into it in depth with you. I love it. I think it's awesome. I don't speak about it a lot because it's so dangerous. Um, you got to, if you go into that world, be willing to lose everything. You make, do it with money that you know could go away tomorrow or in two weeks time be worthless. You got to have that. So, but I take a look at like NBA, the, what the NBA is, uh, franchise has done with what they've done with NFTs. I think that's amazing. And I think that's a, that is a thing that other sports franchises and brands could learn from. And they were one of the first. And what they're doing is extraordinary. But I think if you take a look at what soccer clubs are doing though, you know, in European leagues and England, their, their NFTs are worthless because they're not executing in it in that particular. So you've got to like really not just run with the momentum, really understand and, and be patient. So that's my one view of NFTs. The other one on um, uh, which wallet? Yeah. There's so many. I mean, there's Valor, there's Revix. Um, uh, you know, it's also what do you want to what do you want to do with? Do you want a wallet where you have all your various cryptocurrencies in it, or do you want a wallet that has more utility, like a MetaMask wallet. 
you know, with a MetaMask wallet, you can have all your cryptocurrencies, tokens, NFTs, and you can hop around with your MetaMask across multiverses into so from what NFT saying, marketplaces, etc. So from what you're saying is go for a wallet of a collection of, um, I mean... So yes, yes, let me... Uh, look, I, I use MetaMask because that's... But there's better ones now and... You know, something happened to MetaMask a few months ago, and people are like a little bit against it because it got stopped. But, but I like I use MetaMask. It's my general purpose wallet that I okay. use to get into marketplaces, etc. I think it's just what you want to do with it. But the true aspect of this is not to have your crypto in exchanges and wallets. Yeah, you should have your crypto, what they call air gapped. So you should have your keys in your pocket or somewhere safe somewhere. Yeah, I think what I'm getting from this is this is dangerous don't do it alone at home hey eh? i think you can do it i think it's dangerous if you're not educated i think you really need to educate yourself yeah. and make sure that you know you you're looking at fundamentals you truly understand what you're investing in mm. you need to like really do absolutely. the homework absolutely uh, because you'll you'll get burnt here yeah. if you don't do the homework but but like i i don't have my crypto on an exchange my bitcoin doesn't live on an exchange i don't trust luno or valor to do cold storage with my keys and to keep it somewhere safe for me. I don't trust that. I think the government could turn around and, and tell Luno of Valor to do certain things and who knows what then. Then I can't gain access to it. So my keys are stored on an off-chain uh, mechanism hmm. and I store it in a physical place that you know me and my family know where it is. I don't... Disclose that either. Yeah. Gee, this is yeah. complicated. My brain is going, is mining something. You know what it is, Jeva? It's power. It's power that you've never had sure. over your own capital. You've, that's, uh, and then when you read the book, The Sovereign Individual, you start realizing that we now have the tools and capabilities and power to truly become sovereign individuals, where you have full control over your wealth, the movement of it, the velocity associated with it, where it's stored. And but that does come danger. I do think in the future we'll obviously exchanges exist because, for the same reason, fiat currency led to banks. Okay. As people, we don't want to like own stuff. We want someone else mm -hmm. to take care of the security of it. Yeah. question about um, crypto you know on social media you get I don't know if you guys had those people that like approach you on social media like Twitter and Instagram asking you do you want to buy crypto and you're not sure if it's like spam or if mm. it's legit are those like legit salespeople, or like would you go with that no 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 don't touch them don't 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 buy crypto based upon an ad that someone's put up and you're clicking on their ad don't do that go to the core go to like valor.com and go do your research on there and like, get educated and like and watch out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scams here. There's a lot of like, you got to understand the fundamental. If my advice to you is before you do anything in this space, it's still early. Don't worry about Bitcoin being this, then tomorrow it's this. Don't worry about that. It's still very early. Bitcoin may even still go down to like, you know, $100 a coin. Right. You know, I'm a hodler, so like I, uh, they call it diamond hands. You know, I, don't, I don't care what happens to Bitcoin. 
because I, I have a belief in what it will be decades from now. I have a long-term view. How but much I, must we start with? Like, can you start with 50 Rand? Yeah, yeah, you can, buy, like yeah you can buy like 50 Rand's worth of Bitcoin. Yeah, you can go to an exchange and take 50 Rand and connect your bank and go buy it. So, but, but before you do, I think do that, but in parallel, read the books. Yeah. Get, get into it. Like the book, the four books that I shared today is a very good contextualization of the space. Okay. Because you, you quickly slip down the slide of treating it like a speculative asset class and you start wanting to trade it and you look at it every day and then when it moves, you sell and it doesn't and you do this. And, uh, like if you can keep, stay away from that because you're not a trader. Yeah, you're not a trader. Traders do that. Leave it up to them. Um, if you're not, just stay away from it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good advice there. And I think uh, stuff what you've been saying so many times, read. Educate. educate yourself, understand what you're getting yourself involved. Um, that, that's, that's very important. A thousand hours. Ask mm. yourself, mm. have you done a thousand hours mm. of research? Mm. Have you spent a thousand hours? A thousand hours is not a lot of hours. You know? Okay. We'll take the last question. Yes, sir. This is very, very insightful. I think I'm just blown away. Um, I think my concern and partly my question comes of a living experience where... I had a, a colleague at some point, someone that was very, very invested and branded their car to this Bitcoin. And wow. they, they really went for this. And I remember in certain instances, there were days where they would skip work because then they're going to this province and then they do presentations and all of that. And came a point where they were really making money. You know, and I wanted to jump on this. So the person also invited myself and my wife, and we sat and she did lunch and supper for us and bought everything and showed us this uh, website that was Mind City, where mm. there was transactions happening, and then they then paid school fees instantaneously, and we were really, really sold. But then the person really took like a deep dive struggle last year where they really lost a lot. Mm. And the partners that they were then doing this with um, also took the dive. So my concern is this volatility, right? Because she herself was in it for the long term, but it didn't really pan out. And as a result, she then left work because then this was working very well. <laughs> and then this year, no, no, late last year, she then went back into the workspace. But then she's still trying to recover. So I wanted to understand, when it comes to its volatility, um, what are the risks? And what are the gains for these people that are trying to bring everyone to sign up for Bitcoin? Mm. Well, what I like is you're not being theoretical. You're sharing, uh, sharing with us a lived experience. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard this a lot, yeah. um, where people get taken to presentations and they get asked to transfer money into this exchange, and then this exchange will do this, and, and the money will go up, and then they'll get these dividends from it, and things will get paid. And, and when things are going up and hockey sticking, it's okay. I mean, it's like, wow, it's a no-brainer. I should put my money in. I think, I think you, you need to be careful, number one. Right? And I keep coming back. Do the research. Don't let someone tell you about mm. Bitcoin. Go teach yourself about Bitcoin. Teach yourself. Don't let someone teach. Don't go into a room 
and then get mesmerized by someone about Bitcoin. If there's one thing I want to leave you with today, is go do the 100 hours. Go do 100 hours of research, your own investigation, go read the books, and take a step back, concept, take it all in, then maybe buy a little bit of Bitcoin. And then go back and do the 900 other hours of research. Read the original white paper. Read the books. Don't go trading on exchanges. Go onto the core layer one network and get Bitcoin like that. Do crypto wallet to crypto wallet money movement. Understand how the money moves. What happens? Send from point A to point B. If you really want to get, get your kids involved, they'll do it better than you on a technological basis. They'll do things that you don't, you probably would be too scared to do. They'll do it and they'll do it better than you and watch what they're doing. Stay away from get rich quick. Put it in here. All the school fees are paid. Anytime you see stuff like that, just run away. Just run away. Even if, it, if your friend does it and uh, just run away. That's just a pure basis. Bitcoin, understand it, understand it, understand it. It's a beautiful journey when you go down the rabbit hole because it's going to teach you the history of money. My 21-year-old and my 18-year-old, four years ago, I took them to lunch. And I said, I need my responsibility as a parent is to teach you Bitcoin. And we went to a lunch and I sat down with my girls and I took them through it and I went deep deep, deep. The lunch turned out to be a whole afternoon. We were kicked out the restaurant. We went home. We kept on going. They now own Bitcoin. They understand how their keys work. They have their keys on, on, on ledger sticks. Um, they're doing stuff with it. They're into the crypto. They, they, and what they're doing is scary for me, but they're doing it with capital that they're willing to do. But they're not getting conned because they understand the underlying mechanism. They understand how it works. They understand that's where you need to start in this space. The beauty of it is the discussions that you have with your friends, family, children, when you go down this rabbit hole is fascinating because you're going into, you start with the history of money. Like, what's the history of money? And you just keep going in there. It's a beautiful thing. You, and you, it becomes anthropological. It becomes paleontological. And then it becomes, like, economical. And you go down, you go down, you start learning, you start learning, you start learning, and you start learning how human character makes it. And then you'll never fall for a scheme like that. Because it will teach you all of this. If you're trying to get rich quick, good luck. <laughs> but if you look at the fundamentals of Bitcoin, which is at some, it's a store of value that you can put something into that you can give to your children one day. I bought Bitcoin for my kids years ago. And that Bitcoin is theirs. And if they leave it there, no, no Cyril Ramaphosa, no government leader can take it away from them. No matter what happens in South Africa, they can flee with it. And no one can take it. It's an incredible thing. They've got their, they memorize their keys. They know they've got their wealth in their heads, not in a bank. Wonderful. Say so you're itching really, it, it must be short, sir. It's very short. Yeah. I just, I just want to answer, give him a perspective. That, that, that what your friend was involved in, it was called Bitcoin Vault. It was called Bitcoin Vault. And... Uh, I know about it. A lot of people, uh, when it started, everybody was making money. And I think the people behind it, that's what they wanted to do. They were catching people just like Crowd1. I don't know if you heard of Crowd1. Crowd1 was the same. So what he's talking about, Bitcoin in reality, is totally different yeah. from those. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Stafford, this has been amazing, absolutely amazing, as everybody's been saying. Um, insightful.
ask you to 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 to, to please out, uh, share those three books. Okay. Uh, if people want to understand uh, Bitcoin and digital currency, what three books I recommend? Well, because there's there's four now. Four. I used to say three, and then okay. I finished Ray Dalio's one. Okay. The Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. Okay. It's absolutely brilliant. Wonderful. The second one is um, uh, the Bitcoin Standard. Um, the third one is the Fiat Standard. Mm. And the fourth one is The Sovereign Individual. Those four books, if you've, like, just start there. Like, and, and, you know, people will argue against me and they probably stop. Just, just read. For me, those books contextualize it, give you a very good, solid understanding of what money is, the history of money. Um, talk about, they, they, they allude to Austrian economics. They, you know, they tell you about fiat and, and, and they tell you about Bitcoin. And, and I just think it's a great place as a business person for you to start. Get, get through those four books. That's the beginning of your first hundred hours. Is those first four books, right? And then, um, and then also get the white paper. Download the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. Read the Bitcoin white paper. It's amazing how many people are in the space and they haven't read the white paper. Read the white paper. Read it. See what you understand, don't understand in it. And then start investigating around that on the academic papers. And, and yeah, it's, once you've done that, you're down this rabbit hole and you will want to spray paint your car with Bitcoin all over. <laughs> the enthusiasm, and it won't be about like invest now. It's because Bitcoin is the greatest technological gift ever given to mankind. On that positive note, we will end it. I mean, obviously you can tell, you know, um, Stafford Mas and I can go the whole day and I'm sure you would enjoy it. Um, so much wisdom very insightful stuff. Well, thank you thank so you. much for, thank your, you for, the opportunity. for your time. I mean, yeah. This is precious. I'm sure our audience uh, who are all over the world who've been watching have thoroughly um, enjoyed this. Thank you to the audience in yeah, the thank room. You. Thank you to the audience uh, all across the world um, who've been watching in conversation with Trevor, uh, South African series. Um, remember, we are a weekly show, uh, Monday, 7 a.m. Central African time. Subscribe so that you don't miss out, miss out on any of these In Conversation with Trevor South African series. Thank you for watching and cheers to you all.